Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Some people talk about having a life verse. Uh, I, uh, I have basically three life verses. Uh, the first one is uh, taken way out of context and meant tongue-in-cheek tongue is Romans 7.15, where Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. That's, that's my first life verse. <laughs> Uh, the second uh, is one that I plan and hope to preach on uh, my last Sunday here on April 28th, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. The third verse is here in verse 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. If, if I uh, have anything that might be called a legacy, or I would desire to be a legacy of ministry here at Grace Church, it would be uh, this verse, that your heart's desire would be from me, from any preacher that stands in the pulpit of Grace Church, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Um, that is the desire of true saving faith. In chapter 6, verse 40 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. To see Jesus, to really see Him for who He is, the Christ, the Son of God, is life. That was the purpose of John's gospel. Remember John uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 31. To, uh, These things I have written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This request then to see Jesus. This is my prayer. It's my prayer when I read the Bible. It's my prayer when I preach. It's my prayer uh, when listening to preaching. It's my prayer for you tonight that you would see Jesus. This is, this is significant. Uh, this is so significant to me. I actually have a, uh, I went ahead and had a plaque made. Uh, it's not ready. It was, it was supposed to be ready yesterday, but it's not ready. Uh, it's a gold, little gold plaque. I, I plan to put it uh, on the pulpit facing the preacher. 
y'all, y'all do with it whatever you want after I'm gone, but I'm going to put it on. Sir, we would, it's the King James Version. Sir, we would see Jesus. But that is, that is eternal life. It's the, it's our prayer. Uh, and this request uh, had great significance for Jesus in John chapter 12, as we'll see. So I want to walk through this passage in, in four stages with the prayer that we tonight would see him and believe and have life. First, the desire to see Jesus in verses 20 through 22. Uh, let's read it again. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So here's the situation. It's, uh, it's the Monday after Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate a week uh, from tomorrow. It'll be the Monday after Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus uh, is teaching. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he's just cleaned out the money changers from the temple uh, on the same day, he's just said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for whom? For all the nations. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations from Isaiah 56, verse 7. Uh, that's significant for what happens here in John 12. And so now these, these Greeks show up. Now, everybody who wasn't a Jew in those days was called a Greek. It was the, the Greek, the Greeks, uh, had influenced the, the whole empire and had in, uh, and had had, uh, you know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. So, uh, so when Greeks show up, it's, it could be any Gentile. So these Gentiles show up and they want to see Jesus. How different is their attitude from the Pharisees? Back in verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that, uh, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And then these Greeks show up. Uh, I mean, they, the, the Pharisees didn't want, the last thing they wanted to see was Jesus. But here are these Gentiles. They come and they ask, they ask Phil, we wish to see Jesus. Well, why, why did they ask Philip? Well, a couple of different reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, Gentiles uh, in the temple, you know, they were coming to see Jesus. Jesus was in the temple. For Gentiles to come into the temple was a touchy thing. Uh, and the, and uh, they weren't just allowed to come anywhere they wanted to in the temple. In fact, one of the things that have been found, from one of the very few things relating to the temple that have been found from that day is, a, uh, is an engraving that was placarded in the temple compound that warns Gentiles from coming in too close. There was a, there was a little wall, uh, that was, there was the, the, you know, in the temple, there's the court of the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, it's called, and then there's a little wall within that court, and only Jews could come past that wall. And uh, there was a, there was a sign posted at this little wall that said, in the, uh, this is translated from the Greek, no foreigner may enter within the balustrade. The bal- a balustrade is just the wall, the little wall there. 
No foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put blame for the death which will ensue. In other words, Gentiles stay out. Do not enter. Well, Philip uh, was from Galilee. That, that's significant here. They went and asked, uh, they asked Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Uh, that's significant because Galilee is on the outer skirts of Israel. Uh, it had connection, it was the closest connection with Gentile territory, and there was some overlapping of uh, races in that area. Uh, sort of maybe like, uh, like Texas or Arizona would be with regard to Mexico. It was on the border. So they came and they asked Philip. And maybe they, maybe they knew Philip. Maybe they lived up in that area and, and they even knew him. So then uh, Phil goes and tells Andy and Andy and Phil go to, to see Jesus. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. It's curious though, isn't it? We, we don't know what they wanted and we don't even know if they got in. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us any of that information. Why? Because John, John is recording this event because of its theological and redemptive significance, not just because of its historical interest. John has something to talk to us about by recording the coming of these Greeks to see Jesus. And what is it that John has to tell us about uh, when he records the coming of these Gentiles to see Jesus. The question, the theological issue that he's addressing is this. What is the relationship of the Gentiles to God? What is the relationship of Gentiles to God's temple? What is, what is God's plan with respect to the Gentiles? Let me ask it this way. What is God's plan with respect to you and to me. We're, we're the Greeks. We're the ones represented by these Greeks who are coming to, to see Jesus. There's a, whole, there's a whole history that's in the background here. Remember, Jesus has just said, um, this is my Father's house. My, my, uh, this house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. But there was this wall in the temple compound, which represents a more significant wall that was raised up uh, among God's people against the Gentiles. And that more significant wall was the wall of the law of God itself. If you go way back in the Old Testament, back in Genesis, in chapter 12, uh, God promised Abraham, God called Abraham out of the nations, and he says that through him all the earth shall be blessed. Through him and his seed, all the earth shall be blessed. And in Isaiah 49, uh, we read, uh, uh, God says, I will make you, his people or his servant, as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Yet he, then he gave this law which says, basically, Gentiles stay out. This law created a separation of Jews from Gentiles. The Gentiles were, were considered unclean. They were to be off limits. 
So this little wall in the temple is a symbol of the big wall of the law that separated Jew and Gentile. God did that on purpose. He was quarantining off uh, His people from the rest of the world, His people through whom the seed would come that would be a blessing to the nations. But, but we've got this issue. What about the Gentiles? Where do the Greeks feed, fit in? So you see this dilemma. A house of prayer for all the nations and yet keep out nations. How will God fulfill the promise He made to Abraham that His seed would be a blessing to all the nations when all the nations were kept out of the presence of God? What, what's to be done? The answer is the looming cross. Ephesians chapter 2 explains how the cross resolves this dilemma. Look, look with me there for a second. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... He's talking to Christians now, Gentiles who have become Christians. Remember that at one time you you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, or it's by the Jews. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's true because God was dealing with Israel. God had called Abraham's biological descendants and Isaac and Jacob's biological descendants out of the nations, had quarantined them off, and had basically put up a wall that kept out the Gentiles. So this is where you were. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he made himself, for he himself is our peace. What he means is our Jew and Gentile peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, one, and has, here it is, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, you see? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. What, is, what does the cross do? It fulfills the law in order that that which separated Jews and Gentiles would be abolished and broken down, and Gentiles like us might be brought in. The, the cross, this, that, that's, that by the way is why Peter could go to Cornelius' house in, in the book of Acts. Cornelius was a Gentile. Peter, go to Cornelius. Uh, never, Lord. Uh, unclean. Right? The law res restricted it. Don't call unclean what I've cleansed. It was a big deal. The cross was the explosion that 
that tore down the wall. So, back to the coming of these Greeks to see Jesus in the temple. What they actually wanted to to talk to Jesus about is, is of little significance to John's record. What significance is that they came? Do you see that? That they came is what's significant. And Jesus hears their request as a trigger. An anticipation of what's about, what's about to happen in order that all Gentiles might come into the temple of God and see Jesus. The time has come, he understands, for the wall to come down and for him to tear it down. And the lesson for you and me, Gentiles, the lesson for you and me is that now, because of what Christ is about to undergo, we may come right in. You may come right in into the very presence of the living God, past past all the do not enter signs, past the balustrade, past the first veil, through the holy place, all the way in through the veil that was torn when Christ Himself died on the cross. Would you see Jesus? Do you wish to see Jesus? Listen, He wishes to see you. This is a house of prayer for you. So the the request to see Jesus. Secondly, we want to see the cost of seeing Jesus in verses 23 and 24. So, Philip and Andrew come tell Jesus, hey, some Greeks want to see you, and listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Isn't that an odd response? You know, if you, if you if you came to me right now and said, "Hey, there's some there's some people outside. They want to see you," my response would be something like, "Can can you wait? Hold hold on for a minute. I'm preaching right now." <laughs> and then um, maybe you know, uh, tell them to come on in, or what do they want, or whatever. But Jesus Jesus' response is, "The hour has come." What what's he mean? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is an at last kind of answer. Go back in John chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, The wedding at Cana. Jesus' uh, mom complains to him that they've run out of wine. Jesus says to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, the woman uh, at the well in Samaria, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Uh, verse 23 of the same chapter. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers shall worship Father and Spirit and truth. Chapter 7, verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. 
chapter 8, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. But now, chapter 12, verse 23, the Greeks come to see Jesus, and Jesus understands. Now the hour has come. The hour has come. Hallelujah. Now is the time for glory. But then verse 24, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of, of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Wait, what? Jesus has said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he talks about death. That, that doesn't seem to resonate. But what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, he's saying first of all, my, the, my being glorified is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic, the promise to Abraham and the blessing of the nations. You see the connection with the Greeks? My hour coming is the hour when the Son of Man is glorified and this fulfills the promise to Abraham back in Genesis that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. And he's saying that my glory, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, my glory is seen supremely, not first in my reign at the right hand of God the Father, but in my humiliation of the cross. That's where my glory is to be seen. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and he's talking about his death. That's where he will primarily, preeminently, and first be glorified. Not, not that his cross and his exaltation can be separated. They can't be separated. The reality is that, that the cross is the beginning of his exaltation. He's being lifted up on the cross, on his way to the right hand of the Father. The cross is the first and necessary stop. So how, so how did Jesus, he's preaching in the temple, how is it that he connected these Greeks' requests to see him to his hour of glory? How did he make that connection? Well, he is God, of course. I suppose he, he, he knows by virtue of the fact that he is God. But also, Isaiah chapter 52. Go back to Isaiah chapter 52. Verse 13, verses 13 through 15. Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. This, this is, remember, right before chapter, the famous chapter 53 that's so clearly about Christ and His crucifixion. But, but go back before chapter 53 to verse, chapter 52, verse 13. Okay? Behold... My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exhaust, uh, exalted. There you go, glory, right? My servant shall be high and exalted. And then, verse 14, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred 
beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which they had not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Servant, high and exalted, the Son of Man shall be glorified. Servant, his, uh, his appearance is marred beyond semblance. So shall he sprinkle many nations. So the nations come, we would see Jesus. Jesus understands the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What does that mean? His blood's going to be spilt, spattered to cleanse the nations. This is a time of glory. The coming of the Gentiles is the trigger. So how shall Gentiles, how shall you ever see Jesus and live? You'll only see Jesus and live when you see him marred beyond recognition, spattering the nations with his cleansing blood. That's how, that's how the disciples, it's interesting, you know, in, in Luke chapter 24, the disciples that Jesus meets with after his resurrection, he meets with them, they're on the wet road to Emmaus. Do you remember that story? And they didn't, they didn't recognize Jesus. He is, he's sharing with them all about how these things must be through Moses and the law and all the Old Testament scriptures. And then they didn't recognize him until what? The breaking of the bread. That's, that's when we see, Je that's when we truly see Jesus. We see him in the breaking of the body on the cross on the giving of Himself as a sacrifice for sinners. That's when we see Jesus as He truly is. That's when we understand who He is. And how will the Son of Man bear the abundant fruit of a harvest of Gentiles? That's what verse 24 is all about. The grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. If it doesn't, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He still has the Gentiles in view. How, how will he gather in the Gentiles? How will, how, will Ab how will the promise of Abraham that his seed will be a blessing to all the nations? How, how shall Abraham be uh, the father of a multitude of nations? How shall it be? They have to be cleansed by His blood. And here are these Gentiles. How shall they be brought in? How shall they really see Jesus, behold Him and believe and live unless the seed falls into the ground and dies? Then it can sprout up and bear abundant fruit. The fruit of the nations. This is the good news. To see the glory of God in Christ, one must be cleansed by His sprinkled blood. To come all the way in, one must 
This one must die. That's Christ's greatest glory. That's what, that's what makes us sing his praise. That's why, that's why we worship him. Uh, in, in the end, what is it that draws us to Jesus? What is it that makes us want to see Jesus? It's not, it's not primarily seeing his power. It's primarily seeing his love displayed on the cross. What, what is it in the end that the saints and angels sing in heaven, but worthy is the Lamb who was slain? Revelation 5, verse 12. What, what is it that unites Jew and Gentile and brings sinners near to the very throne room of God in the temple? But Ephesians 2.13, Now in Christ Jesus you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So verses 23 and 24 don't change the subject from the Greeks who want to come and see Jesus. It fulfills it. It makes it a real uh, a reality for them and for us. Well, then there are consequences, thirdly, of seeing Jesus. Verses 25 and 26, here are the consequences. If you wish, do you wish to see Jesus? He wishes to see you so much that He, like a grain of wheat, falls into the earth and dies in order that you may be cleansed and brought all the way in to His presence. But there are consequences. Verse 25 and first part of verse 26. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, And where I am, there will my servant be also. What happens when you see Jesus in His glory, high and lifted up on the cross, dying for you? What happens then is that the cross and and Christ's sacrificial love becomes not only His glory, but it becomes your glory. It's not only His glory but it becomes your glory. And because it's your glory, what you have once loved in your life, your self, your sin, your self-righteousness, your self-protection, now you begin to hate in comparison. And And what you once hated, God Himself, humility, sacrifice, servanthood, now you begin to value. What's His glory becomes your glory. What you once longed to protect with all of your might, your career, your success, your belonging, your position, your reputation, your your comfort, your very life, you're now willing to lose for His sake. Why? Because the glory of Christ and His being lifted up on the cross becomes so attractive to you. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is that true of you? Is that true of you tonight? And I don't, I don't mean that just, um, you know, don't take that just hypothetically that that might happen someday. That will happen to you maybe every day of your life. In the simple and the small things, like when you're asked to do something hard, like confront somebody in their sin, or like confess to somebody that you gossiped against them behind their back, or like when you're asked to forgive somebody who's hurt you, or like when 
you're asked to love somebody that you don't particularly like for Christ's sake. Those are sacrificial actions. Those are hard things that you are asked of if you're following Christ. But if the cross, if the cross of Christ is glory to you, these things are glory, are your glory. Are you willing to, to do the hard thing for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus? When that's true of you, two things will happen. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. So you follow him, and that means, that means all the way to Calvary. And secondly, you stay with him. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. When he says, where I am, where I am, there will my servant be also. He's not talking here about heaven. He's talking here about the cross. John 15, verse 20, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So, G so Jesus says, listen, Greeks, listen, you Gentiles, in Roanoke, Virginia, Sunday night at Grace Church, listen, to see me high and lifted up on the cross first, Shining in the light of my glory means that you will share in my glory and also be lifted up on my cross. Do you really wish to see me? But hear this also. This is the fourth and final stage of the text. At the end of verse 26, there's an encouragement to seeing Jesus. There is a consequence to seeing Jesus, and it is costly because it was costly for Jesus. But there's an encouragement for seeing Jesus. If anyone serves me, and that implies suffers with me, the Father will honor him. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, that is, if you are willing, you're willing to lose your life in this world, then you'll not only share in my sufferings, but you'll also share in my honor, in my glory. Honor is the promised reward, not, not payment, reward, promised reward for faithfully suffering with Christ and staying with Him to the end. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 17, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It's an incredible promise to be glorified with Christ. And that's why he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Christ promises suffering to those who wish to see him, but he guarantees honor on the other side. The, the promised honor, this promised honor is what we would call the Christian's vindication. Uh, you, you will be thought little of by the world. 
you will be misunderstood by those who are your enemies, those who don't know Christ. You will be misunderstood, you will be thought little of, you will be thought little. But Christ is promising that if you stay with Him as His servant and be with Him, the Father will vindicate you show you to be who you truly are in the end. Let me, let me illustrate vindication uh, with, this, uh, with this story. I, I uh, read uh, a story, and I did some, some Google research, and it, it seems like a, a genuine story about a soldier in the Vietnam War. This was in 1970. Uh, private first class um, Barton was his name, Private First Class Alan Barton. Uh, he, was, he was blown up by a landmine uh, near where he was stationed uh, at his base in Vietnam. And the army was unable to identify his, his remains. So uh, for a long time, he remained unaccounted for. Well, uh, so they didn't know who this person was who got blown up. In the meantime... Uh, Private First Class Barton was missing from base, and they didn't put the two together, and so they uh, they declared they decided that uh, Bar- Private Barton had deserted. They listed him as AWOL, absent without leave. Uh, well, you you can imagine uh, how that affected his family back home. Uh, his dad was a 20-year Army veteran. And to know that his son was believed to have deserted from the army was a significant shame against his son and against his family, and his family name. He, this, is, this is the man, his son went AWOL. It's the mom whose son deserted uh, from the army. Uh, it wasn't until like 13 years later that they actually identified the remains of that man who had been blown up as Alan Barton and connected the two. And they restored him to full military honors. They gave him a military burial, had a 21-gun salute, and played taps. This is 13 years later. That's vindication. But it followed a period of great shame. The ultimate example of vindication, though, is resurrection. Jesus Christ was was mocked, railed at, made fun of, laughed at, treated with utter contempt, nailed on a cross between two criminals, considered himself to be a blasphemer, a criminal, shame hung naked on the cross. His disciples, these, these were... Uh, You followed him? No, no. Because of the shame, not Peter. Not me. Until three days later. Vindication. It's ultimate vindication. He is the Lord. He is, He is who He said He is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He has 
spattered the nations with His blood. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Exalted above all, He was obedient to His Father unto death, even death on the cross. And because of that, He is highly exalted. And Jesus is saying, if you'll stay with me as my servant, you'll go through shame also. You'll be thought little of also. You may be thought worthless also. But resurrection's coming. You whose life now is hidden with Christ in God, you who the world looks at as unintelligent, idiotic, clinging to some worthless pie-in-the-sky hope. On the last day, God is going to give you, as it were, a 21-gun salute and show who you really are. And you will be raised and you will judge the nations and share in the glory of Christ Himself seated on His throne, reigning. You are king. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, you are kings and queens. You think the world's going to see that now? They will not see that now. What are you doing wasting your time on Sunday night? But they will see. Because the Father will raise you up and honor you. Behold, my children, they had it right. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you wish to see Him? It cost Jesus everything for that to be a reality. And it will have consequences for you if you wish to follow Him. But on the last day, vindication. Will you, will you see Him? He would see you even now if you come. Come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you that you were willing to leave the glory of the Father to come down way low beneath the heavens beneath the earth in order that we Gentiles would see you, could see you, to bring in the nations, to open the, to open the way. The, there was posted there, Lord, a warning that Gentiles could not come in except on pain of death, but you bore that pain for us. Thank you. Father, we pray tonight that every, every Greek soul here would wish to see you. And we pray and we give thanks that they may see you because of Jesus, because he has fallen into the ground and died, but now bears much fruit. Oh God, may every soul here be fruit on that tree.
the tree of life. Grant it now, we pray, in the Son's precious sacrificial name, glorious name, amen.